Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, walking chapter by chapter through it, and uh, we're coming towards the end over the next few weeks. But today, I want to talk to you about a simple topic, and it's a topic that I don't think we preach on or talk about enough in the church, and it's that of unforgiveness. And I know you may be out there going, well, I don't have unforgiveness in my heart, and I've thought that at times in my life. But, you know, I was thinking back to a a story from when I was young. I I grew up at a Christian school here in Sacramento, Uh, attended this Christian school from fourth grade all the way up. And I had a a guy, he was in in my group of friends, but he was a year older than me. And for whatever reason, he did not like me. And no matter what I did, he would barely speak to me. And every time I saw him, um, it was just like he'd give me the evil stare, the death stare. I'd try to talk to him. There was times I'd talk to him, and he would just not even respond and just walk away. This was my entire junior high, high school experience with him, and I never understood it. But there was obviously some issues. Um, There were some issues between us, and I just couldn't figure it out. And so we were also in youth choir together. We were in youth group together. Yes, I'm a choir kid. Um, You didn't know, but uh, uh, no solos, just backups, okay? I'm in the group. And and so I, I, I was in choir practice one day, and he was sitting in the row behind me with his group of friends, and I was friends with a lot of them. And I turned to him, and I said something. I made a joke. And he looked at me, he said, Caleb Cole, you shut up. In front of everybody, the whole youth choir heard it. And so I turned and I said, bro, what is your deal with me? Like, why have you always hated me? I don't understand. He said, do you really want to know? I said, I really want to know. And so right there in the middle of youth choir with many listening, he said, Caleb, When I was in the fifth grade and you were in the fourth grade, you and one of your friends took a ball that me and my friend were playing with and you would not give it back and you passed it back and forth and you laughed at us and mocked you and that's who you are and I'll never be friends with you. And I was shocked. (laughs) He had been holding on to this resentment this anger, this unforgiveness for more than a decade. We are now 18 and 17 years old. And so I got up and I walked around and I sat down next to him. I had the guys scoot over and I looked him in his eyes and I said, Daniel, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry for what I did to you. I have no recollection of it, but I'm sorry. And I want to ask for your forgiveness. And he looked at me and he said, all right, Caleb, I forgive you. You see, his name is Daniel Matsunaga. And Daniel Matsunaga is now a missionary to Japan who we support monthly as a church. 
Daniel and I ended up going to the same Bible college and became best of friends. We still talk all the time, text all the time. But isn't that funny how easily we can hold on to unforgiveness? And so I want to share a message with you today entitled Bad Blood. Everybody look at your neighbor and tell them, baby, tell them, baby, now we got that. No, no, I'm just joking. So we are walking through the book of Genesis. We're looking at the story of Jacob and Esau. Last week, we looked at uh, 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 when Jacob stole the birthright and the blessing from Esau. If you missed it, go back, watch it, listen to the podcast, watch it on YouTube, uh, a, a message entitled Killing Compromise. I would encourage you to, to listen to that. But this is Jacob and Esau part two, part two. Jacob, a man whose life was filled with family drama. Some of you can relate. So he tricks his brother Esau into giving him his birthright. Then he steals the blessing by tricking his father. And what happens is after this, I didn't read this part and we skipped it, but Esau vows to kill his brother Jacob. And his mother, Rachel, hears this. And Rachel, she loved Jacob more than Esau. He was her favorite. Where my mama's boys at in the house. Just like my brother Luke Cole is Joanne's favorite. And I'm not bitter about it. It just is what it is. Okay, church? Some of you are not the favorite. That's okay too. But she tells him to run. She says, flee from here because Esau is going to kill you. And so Jacob goes, he flees. He ends up landing in, in a region where he meets this man named Laban. Laban has daughters and he marries one of them and then marries the other, different day. Uh, and, and, and his family begins to grow, is blessed, his flocks grow, and he amasses great wealth. To the point where he can't even get along. His, his, his family has grown so much that him and Laban have to go their separate ways. And he decides to go back to the land of his father. So he's traveling back to his homeland. And this is where we come in the story. Verse or chapter 32 of Genesis. Starting in verse number 6. Are you with me? Everybody say, uh-huh. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks, then the camp that is left will escape. Jumping to verse 11. Please deliver me, he's speaking to God, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's reminding God, God, you made a promise to me. I don't know if you ever walked through a situation and you got to remind God, God, you're putting me through this, but you remember what you said. Let me jump forward, chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph 
Last of all, we're going to get to Joseph in two weeks. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. This is a story of forgiveness. Jacob and Esau, two brothers, rivals. Some of you got rivals in your life. They were at odds. One had betrayed and stolen from the other. And here, the older forgives the younger. This amazing moment. You see, what I realized this week is that I actually still deal with unforgiveness. This week, I was telling a story to some friends uh, about a situation that I'd walked through. And, and I'm like, I'm a pastor. I don't have unforgiveness. I don't have resentment. I've worked through all that. I'm a man of God, you know. Uh, I got it all figured out. And, and I'm telling them this story. And as I'm telling them this story, I feel this anger and resentment rising up within me. And as I'm telling them the story, I go, you know, actually, as I'm telling you this, I'm realizing like, I still have some unforgiveness towards this person. I still have some resentment towards this person. And it was like this epiphany moment the week that I was preaching this to you that uh, I realized how many of us are like me. How many of you are like me? And you may not even think about it, but you have bitterness, resentment that you're holding on to, unforgiveness. And I want to tell you, this is how you know you need forgiveness. Because there's something holding you back from your purpose. Forgiveness is the transfusion our hearts need to live healed and free. So I want to talk to you today about bad blood. How to get the bad blood out and the forgiveness in. And if you're here saying, this isn't for me, but I know somebody. Let me tell you, it's for you. Some of you are like, but... I don't have unforgiveness. Can I tell you what unforgiveness looks like? It looks like grudges. It looks like bitterness. It can look like unmet expectations. It can look like resentment because you've been treated unfairly. It can look like offense. Offense of others that you've picked up or offense that was caused by others that they put on to you. And it can lead to compromise, which we talked about last week. And so I believe today that the Lord wants to set this house free from the unforgiveness in their hearts. And I cannot emphasize enough how important this idea, this, this uh, practice is. So hear me in this. Forgiveness is a primary spiritual discipline of every Christ follower. Primary spiritual discipline. And some of you have been holding on to the resentment, the wrongs, the hurts, the pains that others have done to you, that others have imposed upon you. And today, I believe you need to let go of these things. Because if you aren't you are not walking fully free. You're not walking the fullness of your faith, which is the first point today. How do we get the bad blood out of the forgiveness? And first, we need to increase our faith. Somebody's saying, but forgiveness, that's not faith. Listen to me. Forgiveness requires faith. In fact, 
I would say to you, real faith forgives. And if you are not forgiving or you're holding on to unforgiveness, I'm telling you right now that your faith needs some work. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching at me. Because this week I realized my faith needs some work too. As I'm telling this story and I feel the resentment and hurt and anger rising up in me, I'm going, oh my goodness, my faith needs some work. I have not forgiven fully this person. Because some of you are like, but I said I forgive you. And I told God I want to forgive this person. And yet you're holding on to some resentment. There's some bitter root that you have not fully pulled. And you're, you're probably like me. And you just stuff it. You just stuff it. You see, real faith forgives, but real faith is not about faith in people. It's about faith in God. If you truly have faith in God, you will forgive the people who you've lost faith in. Some of us need to forgive ourselves for the things we did that we said we would never do. We can't forgive others if we haven't forgiven ourselves. You see, Jacob, it says in verse 7, it says he had great fear when he saw his brother coming. You know, I was thinking about this, and I don't want to get extra biblical here, but I was thinking about this text and this verse and this idea of how fearful he was of his brother coming. What would cause this fear? Well, he was greatly distressed. I mean, why would he be greatly distressed? Well, he's greatly distressed because he knew he wronged his brother, and his brother is on the way, and he heard he's on the way with 400 men. I can understand the fear, the distress, the anxiety. He saw the impending conflict. But is it possible in our lives that there are people we don't want to see because we're holding on to unforgiveness? Ooh, don't talk to him about it, Caleb. There are people you're coming here to church hoping to avoid They go to your very house of worship. You see them at work and you want to avoid them. You've picked the other service from them. You make sure you come in at a time that you know they're on the way out at work. Why do you think you're avoiding them? Maybe, I'm not saying all of you, but maybe it's because there's some level of unforgiveness that you're holding on to. And that if you had fully forgiven... You could see them. I'm not saying you'd forget what they'd done. But I'm saying you would be more free to see them. Because there's love in your heart. Instead of bitterness in your heart. It doesn't mean the pain isn't real. It doesn't mean the pain wasn't inflicted upon you. But it does mean that you've given that to God. And forgiven them of whatever it is that they violated in your life. You see, we often see conflict as a threat rather than an opportunity for reconciliation. Jacob saw the impending conflict and was fearful. But Esau came seeing this is going to be a conflict, but it's for reconciliation. And I wonder how many of us, even in our marriage, avoid conflict and we're not realizing that we're avoiding that which we need. You see, I grew up 
in a very white, placid, calm family. Conflict looked very logical. In fact, often, if there was an issue, we wouldn't even talk about it. You just sweep it under the rug. Under the rug. And then I married this crazy brown Filipino woman. She's not here, but she was sitting here. And you guys can imagine, Chrissy is right here. And she came in, and our first year of marriage, I thought we were dysfunctional. I thought we have major issues because here she comes yelling and angry and coming at me. No, we couldn't, we couldn't, can I have a minute? No, we need to talk about it right now. And, and I, I need some, no, we're, we're dealing with this. And she came, it was loud and it was intense and it was passionate. And I'm thinking, man, we got major problems. But here's what I realized. No, I'd rather do that than sweep it. I'd rather do that than stuff it. And we have been in a process for 14 years of marriage of, of this battle of me pushing down emotions and pushing down resentment and pushing down anger and her letting it all out. And God is finally bringing us to a place where I've realized that what I preach and as I counsel couples, because I counsel, you got to do all the premarital counseling or a lot of the premarital counseling of our church, not all of it, a lot of it. Y'all are too many people getting married right now. I can't do all of it. And I always tell them, conflict is the price we pay for a deepening level of intimacy. But I don't want conflict because conflict makes me uncomfortable. But can I encourage you today that the conflict you're avoiding may be the very stretching that your faith needs. And it may be what will bring reconciliation to the relationships in your life that you've been avoiding for far too long. But it takes faith. How do we get the babble out and the forgiveness in? Second, we tell them or we tell somebody. Look at your neighbor and tell them, tell somebody. Tell them, tell somebody. Let it out and get it out. Pain that festers will turn into something bigger. You see... When wounds fester and become something greater, they become dangerous. And you know what, what is dangerous about it? About letting these wounds fester? Here's what they turn into. What's dangerous about them is they lead to disillusionment. And disillusionment leads to deconstruction. To delaying of all that God wants to give us. And so I'm here to encourage you that you need to talk about it. You need to tell somebody. You need to maybe go to that person, but maybe the person you need to forgive, they're gone, they're dead, or maybe you just can't be in their presence. You need to tell someone, get it out. Tell them, get it out so that God can begin to heal it. Too many of us are walking around with the victim mentality, but you know why we're victims? Because we're unhealed. You will stay a victim until you are healed. Until the hurts and the pains and the betrayals are unhealed. I think about when people come over to our house. And we go on the speed cleaning move. My wife wants it to look like nobody even lives here. I don't want it to look like everyone, anyone's ever slept here, lived here, ate here. Nothing. Clean the house. And she gets, she gets passionate in those seasons. In those moments, you know, 30 minutes before, crunch time. But you know what we're doing those 30 minutes before everyone shows up? We're taking all the stuff and we're stuffing it places. 
like closet, choo, 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 boom, you know, under the bed, slide it, uh, throw it in the pantry. We're, we're hiding things wherever we can hide them. Can I tell you the mess is still there? But you show up to my house and it looks like it's all good. Dang, they got it together. Now, can I just tell you, I think it's a good practice because you should prepare for people. That's what hospitality looks like. Don't be one of those people that they show up and it looks like you didn't even think they were coming. I want to be your honored guest. So you come to my house, it's gonna, there's going to be preparation done. But sometimes it looks all good on the surface, but the mess is still there. And I think there's too many people in the church that they present themselves like they got it all together, like their faith is strong. But under the surface, in the closets, under the beds, under the rugs is this mess of bitterness and unforgiveness and, and resentment that they've never dealt with. And if it continues to fester, it will destroy or delay the destiny that God has for you. You see, unforgiveness is a window for the enemy to get a foothold in your life. If you allow unforgiveness to go unchecked, the enemy will slide right in that window. And before you know it, he'll begin to wreak havoc in your home. Havoc in your life. Because that unforgiveness, that bitterness begins to bleed into all the areas of your life. And it becomes destructive to where you have nothing good left to give. You can't connect with God anymore. You can't connect with other people. Every person that ever does one little thing to you now becomes an even greater offense in your life because you haven't dealt with the small seeds of unforgiveness some of you have been holding on to for decades. You've been holding on to since you were a child. Two weeks ago, and I don't know if he's in here. I'm looking right now. I don't think he's here today. I'd be fine if he was. Um, two weeks ago, I saw someone who I hadn't seen in a few months. And he was in church, and I, I noticed him in church. And I went out to the lobby, and there he was. And I ran up to him, and I gave him a hug. And I said, bro, I haven't seen you in a minute. It's so good to see you. And I gave him a hug, and we talked about a few things. And he left, and I thought it was all good. And then he texted me later that night. He said, Caleb, I want to let you know that when you came to me, it really hurt me. He said, you made me feel shame that I hadn't been to church in so long. He said, I've been dealing with social anxiety and my family's been going through a lot. I've had some physical challenges and I hadn't been able to be here in months. And when you came to me and you said, I haven't been here in forever, you don't understand how it made me feel and the shame that I felt. And I just wanted to let you know. And to be honest, I knew my heart. And my heart was, I was truly excited he was there. That was my heart, but that's not how it was received. And so you know what I did? I said, I'm sorry. A text back, I said, brother, I'm so sorry. That was not my heart. It was not my intent. I was truly excited that you were there, but I want to apologize to you because I would never want to make you feel shamed or guilt or anything else for being in the house of God. And I'll be more aware of my words moving forward. And then I thanked him. 
I said, thank you for sending this to me because you could allow this to fester, become bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, resentment, but instead you told me and thank you for being honest with me. And he said, brother, I love you. And he was here the next week. But I think that's such a lesson. First of all, that our pride will say, well, that wasn't my heart, so I have nothing to apologize for. But humility says, sometimes we can offend, even if we're unaware or unintentionally, out of ignorance, that doesn't mean we still don't owe an apology. And so I could have been like, but that's not my heart, so bro, you gotta check yourself, man. You should have been more confident. But I was, while my heart, that was not my heart, it was not my intent, it was how I came across. Whether it was because of ignorance, unawareness, it doesn't matter. I needed to apologize. Some of you need to apologize to some people in your life. And when people do actually come to you and tell you they've hurt you, instead of becoming defensive, hello, marriage advice, instead of becoming defensive, which I do, I need to say, wow, I could see how you could feel that way. And I'm sorry for how I came across. But not only that, what a lesson in what forgiveness looks like and how to accomplish forgiveness in your life. You have to go to them. He went to me. He texted me. And the next Sunday when I saw him, I hugged him. I said, bro, it's so good to see you. And I ran away because I didn't want to say anything else. I didn't want to ruin it. I'm out. <laughs> Tell them. Tell someone. Don't let that thing fester. Third, how to get the bad blood out and the forgiveness in is we have to receive the gift of forgiveness. Receive the gift of forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And what does Jesus say? I do not say to you seven times, but 70, seven times. Now, most versions say 70 times seven. Now, I barely passed algebra two. But I do know what 70 times seven is, 490. That's a lot of times to forgive. What a great reminder for us that we would forgive. Why? Because we've been forgiven. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, oh my goodness, their sins, your Father will not forgive your trespasses, your sins. It doesn't get more plain than this. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Jesus keeps it 100, church. Some of you need to hear this right now because you're holding on to unforgiveness. But it starts with receiving the gift of forgiveness.
You see, forgiving others is a blessing. And so I want to tell you to be intentional about forgiveness, but it can't just be a concept. It has to start with us forgiving ourselves. Some of you cannot forgive people because you have not learned to receive the gift of forgiveness yourself. What is the gift of forgiveness? That no matter what you've done, how far you've fallen, how big your failures, that Jesus came to take it. He came to take the darkest, deepest, most destructive things you've ever done. He came to take it. And you know what the Bible says? It says that God actually takes your sins and he throws them into a sea of forgetfulness. Here's the hard thing. We don't forget. So some of you have not forgiven yourself for the failures of your past. You have not forgiven yourself for what you did back then. You have not forgiven yourself for the things that you continue to do because you're stuck in a cycle of sin. But today, I want to encourage you. Receive the gift of forgiveness. It is a free gift of God. It's not because of you or what you do, what you can do, how holy you can be. No, God gives it freely. May we receive it. Somebody needs to receive the gift of forgiveness in your life today for yourself. You've held on to unforgiveness for yourself for far too long. It can't just be a concept. It has to be something that we understand as a covenant with God. You see, there's too many things in the church that are concepts and not covenants. And God made this covenant with his people. This covenant with believers. For he said, if you confess with your mouth your sins and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the grave, you will be saved. Confess and believe. Receive the gift of forgiveness today, church. It is the only way to get the bad blood out and the forgiveness in. The fourth, how to get the bad blood out, the, the forgiveness in, is you have to admit you're not better than anyone. I don't like this one. Tell them. I don't like this one. God, I actually think I am better than a lot of people. I mean, I've seen what these people be doing. God, I see what they're doing in these streets. I see what they were doing last night. I seen how they done their spouse, their friends. And so when we're wrong, do you know what we do? We say things like, look at this person. I would never do that. When we're betrayed, I would never. When someone sins against us or hurts us or wounds us, that's not me. I cannot believe them. But Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does all mean? All. Every one of you. Every one of you in this room, including me, we are but filthy rags before the Lord. You're not better than the person that hurt you. Some of you need to hear this in this place. We all need forgiveness. So who... Have you forgiven this year? Even if they meant to do it to you. I want you to think about it. They meant to do it. They chose to do it. 
See, sometimes you're wronged unintentionally, but sometimes you're wronged intentionally. They did it on purpose. They looked at you and they wanted to hurt you. They wanted to wound you. They wanted to tear you down. Can you forgive those people? Because if you don't forgive, I said earlier, you will derail your destiny. Holding on to people, listen to me, that had nothing to do with your destiny in the first place. Too many of us are holding on to people that had nothing to do with our destiny. We're holding on to people. Why? Because they hurt us, because they wound us, because they manipulated us, because they stabbed us in the back. They abused us. You see, unforgiveness, you've heard this quote, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. And how many of us are holding on to this? Walking in unforgiveness, that manager that did you dirty, that coworker that stabbed you in the back, that friend that stole your girl, that family member that abused you. Maybe abuse you sexually. That pain that you've allowed to turn into a poison in your life. It's festered and it's infiltrated your heart. It's infiltrated your faith. It's infiltrated all of your other relationships. That pain must be turned into purpose, church. The keys will come back. The last, how to get the babble it out and forgiveness in, is you have to give it because you need it. I read it to you earlier that if you forgive other people when they sin, Matthew 6, against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, your Father will not forgive you. What's he saying? Give it. Or you won't get it. But I've seen that offense is the gateway to unforgiveness. I gave you a list of like, what are some other things that, uh, that unforgiveness looks like? It looks like grudges, resentment. But offense is something we're struggling with today more than ever. We are the most offended generation. And I'm with you. Because I get offended too. We love to call them out. They're soft. They're snowflakes. They get offended so easily. Like, let's be honest. We all deal with offense. Here's the thing about offense. Some offense is put on you. You know what I'm saying? Like something is done to you intentionally, you were abused, you were even a child, you had no choice, you were attacked, some offenses placed on you, but many offenses are actually picked up by you, because every day there are opportunities that pass me by for me to grab hold of that offense, give me that, I'm going to take that. Every day the offenses pass you by online, at work, with friends. 
I must make the choice that as a fence passes me, that I choose not to pick it up. That actually, I, I see the offense, and the offense may even bump up against me, but I'm like this. Nope. I'm not picking that up today. Nope. I'm letting that go by. That bruh that cut me off and then flipped me off. Nope. It's good. God bless you, my brother. You'll get yours. No, no. I'm not picking up a fence. I'm going to pray for him. Lord, you see him? He's a trash driver, Lord. But bless him. Help him. Touch his heart. He needs you. Your coworkers, your family members, your friends, that person at church, they say something in passing and I pick it up. Give me that. I knew it. I knew the church, they're all like that. I knew they're fake. I knew it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with How many of us are walking around? Now, listen, some offenses have been placed on you. They were placed on you as a child. They were placed on you uh, through, through hurt, abuse, attack, as an adult even. But I have to choose. First of all, as the offenses pass me throughout my day, I'm not picking them up. No, sir. My destiny is too great. My purpose, my call is too powerful. I don't have time to pick up the petty offenses of this life. I got my eyes on the prize. I'm walking in a greater call. This offense is not what I want my life to be defined by. I choose not to pick it up. But the bigger part, many of you today, what you're struggling with is the offenses that have been placed on you. And today, I believe there are some people, you need to take that offense and you need to lay it down at the foot of the cross. You've been carrying it around for years, decades, Daniel Matsunaga. You took my ball and you're carrying it around. And it's affected and impacted so much of your life. It's actually defined who you are. It's why you have a victim mentality. Because you've never laid down that offense. You sleep with that offense. You travel with that offense. You go to work with that offense. You wake up with that offense. You come to church with that offense. Everything you do is defined by the offense that was maybe placed on you. But today you need to lay it down. Put it at the feet of the cross. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. I'm going to close. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I wonder how many people in the church are coming with an offering of praise. They're coming with worship. They're coming and, and giving financially. They're coming and serving. And there's still offense in their life. There's still unforgiveness in their life. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I'd rather you leave the church 
Leave your worship and go forgive. Go make it right. Go apologize and then come back and bring your worship. But we got a lot of Christians coming in here week after week, giving, praising, serving. And all the while we're still holding our offense. Today, I believe God is going to release some forgiveness. So listen, I know you've been hurt. I know you've been wronged. I know you've been abused. I know you've been betrayed. I know that it wasn't even your fault. But it's time to forgive. Someone in this place, it's time to forgive. Some of you to forgive yourselves and some of you to forgive someone in your life. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.